The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. All right, welcome one and all to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here on our our uh, second of two podcasts this weekend. Of course, if you've uh, been following our feed, we had our Hall of Fame special up this week as well. And uh, this, we're going to be talking about, you know, the current people. Um, you know, we got And we got a uh, pretty stacked show here today. We uh, we talked about men's basketball in the wake of uh, their uh, win over South Florida in uh, uh, those two teams' first meeting of the season, War on I-4. We'll talk about women's basketball coming off of a loss, a rare loss, uh, on the road at Tulane. Uh, also, that also happened on uh, Wednesday night. We'll be uh, joined by Greg Lovelady, our uh, annual uh, preseason interview with Coach Love, our, as the second part of our two-part baseball season preview. Uh, and we'll also talk a little bit of UCF softball getting underway uh, under Coach Bear. Uh, but uh, lots to talk about here. Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, how you guys doing? You get your coffee this morning or what? Yes, it's well. It's eleven thirty. What do you? I didn't. I didn't just wake up. Oh, that's right. Have, that's right. The Australian Open's not happening. So you two knuckleheads right. are not are not exactly. staying up until odd hours watching some tennis tournament from halfway around the world. Look, I'm I'm sorry that you don't appreciate sports. I it, the 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 Australian listen, Open. Listen is, to the broad generalities. That's such a human being. That is such an Eric Lopez take. I don't even know where to start. With this. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Lopez? We're doing good. Uh, we're just we're a big baseball. Hey, baseball is here, folks. That's what I'm excited about. We got Greg Lovelady. Come on. I know. I know. <laughs> and I, uh, by the way, we'll have some wrestling talk, too. Yeah. For those of you who might be interested. For the, those of you who might be interested. <laughs> we are. <laughs> even, even our pre-taped interviews go off the rails. Right. No, exactly. That's fine. <laughs> rails are optional. Uh, we are uh, SB Nation's home for the UCF Knights. You can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, and facebook.com slash black and gold uh, banneret as well. Subscribe to our podcast if you don't already on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. All right, promotional messages aside, let's talk some hoops. UCF last night against USF uh, in the uh, at CFE, first of two meetings, and UCF gets the win 78-65. Um, Murph, you were there along with Luke, and um, this was pretty much a... Uh, well, this was the, 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 it was a blowout. It, it, there was just no yeah. doubt about it. It wasn't even as close as the score indicated. At one point, UCF was up seventy to forty-five in this yeah. game. Um, they uh, they had outscored South Florida in the second half uh, by a count of uh, I'm doing some quick math in my head here thirty-one to tw- uh, thirty-one to twenty at least at, at one point, and that was after a thirty-nine twenty-five. First half, USF kind of you know clawed back during garbage time, but never got any closer than what the final score really was indicated. UCF's largest lead was twenty six in this game, uh, and the story I think uh, you would agree on this was Taco Fall. Uh, 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 Brian, he was six of nine from the field, nine of twenty one from the line, which is actually above his average. Uh, twenty one points, nine rebounds, uh, five blocks. His best game, uh, probably of the year, and you were telling me before we went on, probably since his sophomore year, he was one of four nights in double figures. B.J. Terrell Allen and Aubrey Dawkins were all uh, were all in double figures. Colin Smith added nine, but 
Uh, some encouraging. Uh, I mean, UCF did what they had to do. They've won two in a row since the loss to Houston, and uh, right. some encouraging developments in the front court. Yeah, I, I think you know it's just this game was thirteen nothing, so it was really over like the sixteen minute mark of the yeah. first half. It was also like twenty two four or something like that. Also, it was yeah. I mean, again, like it was just not yeah. a contest. Um, and UCF came out with just establishing Taco Fall. You know, credit to him for for really getting good positioning in the post. And then, then, then I guess you also have to, in some ways, credit USF's defense, which uh, many times just didn't double him, uh, and he just took advantage of that. Or double teams were slow to get there, and he took advantage. So, uh, yeah, he was a he was a beast. I mean, the first I think at the under eight timeout of the first half, he already had like ten points and eight rebounds. Wow! And so he ended up with twenty one and nine. You know, there are a lot of guys here that, that had good games. I, th- I thought Terrell Allen really played well, considering how poorly he played against SMU. He, if you go back and look at the SMU game, he really, really was bad. Um, but because Taco is Taco, he's such an overwhelming presence in multiple ways, obviously. Um, he sort of takes all the air out of the room, and, and the focus deserves to be on him for this night, for that night because uh, he was clearly, uh, for long stretches, the best player on the court. And UCF simply outclassed um, a pretty good USF team. Yeah, they held USF to eight of twenty-eight in the first half. And you're right. I mean, this is this is not the USF team that we've seen the last couple of years. And Lopez, you've spoken to this many times that they've actually um, they're, they're 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 on the upswing of that rebuild that they've been uh, undergoing for a time. They came into this game uh, seventeen and seven. Or excuse me, seventeen and six and seven and four in the league, and this was a big spot for UCF, you know, because Temple's on their heels at eight and four right now. The Knights advanced to eighteen and five, eighteen and three um, in the league. You know, he's still two games back of Houston, and Houston has that one game in hand also. But uh, yeah, this was a spot where UCF really needed to shine uh, on the home court, and I think they. I, I, I think the encouraging thing is they answered. I think a lot of lingering questions that we may have had about the team going forward, especially after that Houston loss, no? Yeah, I think so. I think there's, uh, you know, the broadcast, even Mark Adams said it best. I think this team still has a different gear it can go to, and I think we saw that in this game with the defensive performance. You know, we've talked about it and written about it on Black and Gold Banneret about the defense not being what it was two years ago. Well, we saw that on Wednesday night against USF, and if they can turn up their defense here, they can make a run here. And I think it's not an accident. The defense was as good with Taco Fall playing as a high level. I think when Taco Fall plays at a level, high level, like he did on Wednesday night, the team kind of goes at a different level. And I think we saw that. And while we maybe don't expect that from Taco from an offensive standpoint every game, I think defensively he was just as big of a force. And I think that's also what contributed to the domination there. I think South Florida had no answers. And it was a very impressive win for UCF to stay in that third place spot in the American, and in my opinion, still control, uh, you know, their situation here and their their destiny, if you will, to try to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, the rebounding numbers, UCF out-rebounded South Florida by 337 to 34. They helped the Quincy, Rid- is it is it Rideau or Rideau? It's Rideau. Rideau. All right, well, glad I got that right. Uh, th- yeah. Three of 17 from the field for him in this game. So, I mean, that I mean and that. The rebounding numbers are impressive, I would say, also because USF is one of the better rebounding teams in the country. They lead the conference in a couple of rebounding categories, and they actually did have Alexis Yetna, uh, their leading rebounder, 
actually the conference's leading rebounder. He played 24 minutes in this game, coming back from a hamstring injury that cost him the past two games. I think he had 12 rebounds in that limited time. Yeah, and 12 rebounds still, in uh, 24 minutes. UCF still uh, won the rebounding battle, did really well on the offensive boards, which is where uh, USF really uh, uh, is, is one of their big strengths. So, it, it really, you look at everything in this in, in this game, and um, there's a lot there's a lot of good to take away from it. All right, so let's take a look at the path ahead now, because uh, next up is a Saturday uh, matchup with Memphis. Uh, we know what happened the last time these two teams met. Uh, it was ugly. Uh, this game's on Saturday on ESPN two. Penny Hardaway coming back to Orlando, huh? Um, and then it, this stretch, man. Ugh, Memphis at home on Saturday, Thursday at Cincinnati. Good lord, that's going to be a tough one. Um, home for uh, SMU, which I, I guess is a bit of a break. They're at five hundred right now, four and eight in the league. But but then you're at South Florida again. Uh, uh, or, or not again, but you know the second second meeting of the season on Wednesday, February twenty seventh. Uh, before you go out to Houston, home for Cincinnati at Temple, the brutal, brutal, brutal. I would say four game stretch to finish out. You know that that SMU game is the quote easiest end quote. I'm using scare quotes game of this last six, and uh, whew, I don't know. It starts with this Memphis game. What are we What are we seeing from this now? Saturday at six p.m. at home. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what are we what are we looking for from here? Obviously, you know, is this the must win that everyone's been talking about? I mean, uh, they have to win their games at home. I mean, yeah. we can we can go through a different a lot of different permutations about what this team needs to do to get a NCAA tournament bid. But if they lose to Memphis at home or SMU at home, uh, that's something they really can't do. I mean, maybe yeah. in Cincinnati they lose at home. You can you can persuade me that that that's okay because Cincinnati is a top thirty team, but mm-hmm. um, they they need to beat SMU and they need to beat Memphis, especially on Saturday. I will say this too: Memphis has been for really most of the season, but especially in conference, they've been two entirely different teams outside of the FedEx Forum. They yeah. they are they are completely unbeatable at home. Um, I believe only two teams have beaten them at home all year: Cincinnati and Tennessee. And then on the road, they have two conference wins. Conference wins on the road this year. They're at Tulane by four, and then at at East <laughs> Carolina by ten. It's the two worst teams in this conference. Otherwise, they've gotten killed on the road. Penny Hardaway is stressed about how much th- that his team doesn't play with the same energy on the road. So this is something that uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna probably be watching for early on in this game uh, to see if Mem- if Memphis uh, brings the type of energy that they did. Uh, when they played US at UCF last month. Absolutely head-scratching team. I was looking at Bracket Matrix, too, by the way, and right now UCF is still in that field of 68, sort of by average, uh, by an average of all of the um, of all the bracketologists oh, really? out I there. I thought the season was over. I thought everybody I never, done a couple No, I never, I never did. I had some concerns, obviously, but I know who you're talking to there. Uh, they have UCF as a 12 seed there, so... Um. Hey, twelve versus five, right? That means we're guaranteed a spot in the second round. Well, you know what? My favorite one is is Lenardi. So Lenardi earlier this week in his projection has UCF as an eleven seed playing Iowa. You know what that means? Ooh, Kirk Sparrow. That would be something. 
Yeah. Brian Murphy would have so much material that week, it wouldn't even be fun. Oh, my God. That would be... I wonder where they would play that game, too. That would be interesting. I think, well, the only bad thing about that, I think Lenardi projected that for Salt Lake in Utah. Oh, know. for God's sake. Really? Murphy, are you okay let's, with Utah let's go, there? You know, let's go to Salt Lake. Let's definitely do that. Let, uh, no, 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 no. Let's definitely first go to Dayton on a Tuesday, <laughs> right. and then go to Salt Lake on a Thursday. I'll go. To, I'll go to Dayton. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll hit the. I want to hit the U.S. Air Force Museum up there. That's in Dayton. That's worth checking Good. out, isn't you, it? You want to split a plane? You want to split a plane flight? <laughs> <laughs> you want to help me out with some? Will you want to help I, me out with some Uber fare? I do. Yeah, I, I I do want to point out that the other five teams that UCF is clustered with in that twelve, because remember. Two twelves would play in that first four. Uh, you're looking at um, Temple, uh, two conference champs in VCU and Belmont, pretty good teams, and then Indiana, Seton Hall, and Temple. So, and that's according to BracketMatrix.com. So, um, well, by the way, and, and Lenardi being one of them that has Temple in, so mm-hmm. it's not like UCF's the last, you know, and some depending on where you look at. I mean, the Americans still has a chance to get four right. in, depending on what happens. I mean, I wouldn't bet on it. I, might, I still think it's going to be three, but um, they're in position. I mean, they're the, the advantage. You talk about how those are rough games, but the positive is you've got a chance to enhance your resume with those games if you yeah. get some of those wins and. But I agree with Murph. Memphis, you got to start with Memphis. You have to beat Memphis. Murph, I'm curious. I don't know how much chatter was about maybe what kind of a crowd do we expect for Memphis, right? Penny Hardaway coming in. You you wonder if there's some casual people that maybe that normally don't come to a college basketball game or come to a UCF game but, but might come because they're diehard Penny Hardaway fans, obviously, from back in the day when he played. Old school Magic fans, right? Yeah, a yeah. lot of pinstripe jerseys in the crowd possibly, Murph? Uh, yeah, maybe like 20. What are we talking about here? Really? What are we expecting here? Like a thousands of people to come out and root for the home team, but not too much because the opposing coach is a player they used to like 15, 20 years ago. Hey, look, we're desperate here in Orlando. Okay. The the magic are terrible. I mean, at the very least we can, we can enjoy a little nostalgia, right? I'm sorry. This is, this is, this is definitely my Orlando bias since I'm not fully ingrained with the sports, uh, history of the city i, I apologize penny hardaway <laughs> penny's arguably i don't know jeff what do you think second you know he top three no. most popular athletes of all time i mean in, in i mean i, I no, i would say I, fourth okay what do you got what, what i got i got four? Shaq. i got uh t-mac and i got dwight howard i think he's more popular than t-mac to be honest with you, I think he's more popular because I think P- Penny led them to the finals. The little Penny, I mean, he ca- I mean, people See, that didn't were mm-hmm. not NBA people like Penny. We've now right? set a new we've now set a new podcast record for going off the rails. Fourteen minutes in, by the way, I just wanted. Well, to this, is a I disagree with Murph. I actually do think there'll be a little. I think he will boost the tenants. Remember, the NBA is on an All Star break, and I do think. There are going to be some Magic fans that will go see Penny in person. Okay. Well, if the attendance is boosted, it might be for Memphis fans who travel well for basketball. That's true too. That might help. I mean, no doubt about that. So, all right. So, uh, again, that game, ESPN two, by the way, Saturday, February sixteenth at six. All right. Um, I want to switch over to women's here for uh, for a bit because they suffered an uncharacteristic. Loss at Tulane, sixty-one to fifty-nine, in a game that was absolutely frustrating because you felt like 
I mean, we watched the end of this game, Eric Lopez, and it felt like UCF was obviously good enough. But let's give some credit to Tulane. They made shots down the stretch. And also, the ending of this is just makes you want to rip your hair out if you're, if you're Coach A because UCF had the ball tied at 59 in the final seconds. And on a play, they were looking for Kayla Thigpen in the corner. And K.K. Wright kind of jumped up to pass. The pass got deflected and then stolen by Tulane. And then K.K. reaches in and commits a foul. And UCF was, or Tulane rather, was in the bonus with, I think, two, was it 2.1 seconds left yep. on the clock? And so Tulane, uh, who was it that made the free throws? It was uh, uh, Aaron Gutierrez. Went right to the line with 2.1 seconds left, knocked them both down, and then that was it. Um, spoiled a really good game by KK, really. 21 points on night of 20 from the field uh, to go with six assists. She did turn the ball over five times, but, um, you know, a good game for her. Great game for Sydney McDonald, too, who was uh, 5 of 14, all from the three-point arc uh, at 15 points to go with four assists of her own. Kayla Thigpen uh, had another 10 points and five rebounds. Eight points and 13 boards for Mosny Kyle. I mean, this is a game that, yeah, I mean, uh, this was this was a real frustrating one where it just seemed like, uh, it, this feels like what, what Bill Simmons calls the no effing way game, where the AI in the computer in season mode just decides randomly that you're just not going to win this game. And um, that's what this one felt like because, I mean, UCF even held Tulane to 38% from the field and, 15% from three-point range. Um, out-rebounded them 44-40 to 40 and and lost this game. And it's 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 mind-blowing. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you put this into perspective, Elo. Well, first of all, they didn't have Nye Shuler. Uh, Shuler That's did right. not play. She was under the weather from what I was told. So I think they mentioned it on the broadcast. Not sure. So they were out. Um one of you their know, best defensive players, certainly, yeah. It was weird because they led by double digits early in the game, and you didn't really think anything of it. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, they were looking ahead to UConn, or they just didn't have. They were up double digits, and I don't know, you know, Tulane. Next thing you know, Tulane would make these little runs to get back in it, and then yeah. the, kind of stole it at the end there. You know, I don't by, know. By the way, Tulane, I up, should mention. I'm sorry to interrupt, but Tulane, I should mention, was up by seven with three thirteen to go, and UCF tied the game. So and had a chance to win. So anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that's a tough loss. I mean, they lost. Tulane was a 144 in the RPI. I mean, you could look at. Uh, I'm sure you're looking at what the updated RPIs are. I don't know if they've come out or not. Yeah, I've got or, it right UCF, here. UCF was 14 going into the game. Uh, where are they at now? They only dropped two spots. 16. So the good news there is you the, by the hard work they have done throughout the year. That's a that's a mulligan basically. You right. get a mulligan. Uh, or two. The bad news is you now have two losses in the conference and you've got UConn coming in. And let's be honest, you're going to be a heavy underdog against UConn. Um, I'm sure, I don't know, Murph will, uh, can maybe give a better party line about the chances against UConn than I can, but you lose <laughs> to UConn now, all of a sudden you're tied with Cincinnati more than likely for second. And, you know, if you're UCF for the NCAA tournament, I think their resume is in pretty good shape, but you don't want to be dropping a couple of games. You want to separate yourself from the pack. You don't want to get thrown into the pack. 
And the issue that UCF has down the stretch is there are no quality wins outside of UConn. Like uh, right. there's no quality wins at all in this conference, so you can't step your can't really trip up too many more times. You were, I think you're throwing a mulligan. I think it helps that the game was on the road. I think you get punished more if you lose at home in a game like that. But you know that now all of a sudden they're going to have to work, and, and it's going to be a battle down the stretch to hold off Cincinnati and others to for that second spot. That's the significance mm-hmm. of this loss. Well, UConn is coming up on Sunday at 2, and that game is listed to be televised on ESPN3. That's um, correct. Uh, and then it's, the last... It's, 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 it's one of those SNY games. Uh, UConn, oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. You know, when UConn's not on ESPN or ESPN2 a million, you know, bleeping times, uh, forced down our throats, they will be on SNY. <laughs> forced down our throats. <laughs> well, meanwhile, they, I mean, they're... If it's anything like it's been the last two years, I mean, you're going to see a lot of UConn fans at, at CFE Arena because they're, they're a draw. They're, unless, Murph, unless Murph wants to scoff at that, too, there. I mean, does he not think that we're, we're not see UConn fans there, Murph? No, no. I, on the contrary, I was there last year. There were a lot of UConn fans there. And might I just restate my point that uh, I, do, I do not believe that UCF fans will be showing up for Penny Hardaway. Memphis fans would show up for Penny Hardaway because <laughs> that's what they do. So again, don't don't try to petty fog the issue here, okay? <laughs> petty fog. Good uh, SAT word, by the way. Petty fog. I do glad. I am glad you brought last year's game up because I think. Remember, UCF held UConn to their fewest points that year. Uh, last year, fifty-five yeah, points. Fifty-nine was it? Fifty-nine points last year? Fifty-five? I thought fifty-five. I think it was like a fifty-five thirty-seven final. And they had yeah, to something do- like that. You yes. cannot run, as they found out in the first meeting earlier this year. You cannot turn the ball over. You cannot because and get into an up-tempo game. You will get destroyed by UConn with Collier and Samuelson and company, who are going to be fired up because you got people like Jeff that's trying to make a case for KK Wright for Player of the Year. We don't, you know, we're just going to be ugly. Don't you bring that up here? I don't want to hear what they say. <laughs> but I do think they got to slow the tempo down, half court the game, t- protect the basketball. And I think if they can do that, they can defend UConn and you know and kind of be a similar game to last year if they have a shot to pull off the subset. Um, otherwise, uh, it's going to be a challenge. I, I, I mean, let's let's be honest. Here. I'm not saying I don't have faith in UCF. I think I think that even if UCF plays their best possible game, you still need UConn to have an epically bad game, right? It's you know it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the Giants and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, 11 years ago like even if the Giants played their best game which you did you could still lose to the Patriots right now it just so happened that the Giants did play their best game New England did not play their best game and the Giants got fortunate um you need a ton of breaks you need some you need a few people to just not make shots I don't know you might need somebody to get sick and not you know <laughs> and not play um it, it's you know, I mean, UConn is UConn. Like you know, like like a, a buddy of ours says, Eric Duke is Duke, right? Well, UConn is UConn. Um, but I think you you know you're looking ahead again to those last four games after UConn. Uh, two on the road, two at home. At Wichita State, they're second to last in the league. Home for Temple, um, they're in the middle of the pack, but eight and fifteen overall. Home for Tulane, who just beat you. They're 15-9. and nine. Yeah, not bad, but 5-6 and six in the conference. That should be a winnable game, or revenge, uh, certainly a revenge game. And then at uh, Houston, which is your best remaining game, they're 6-4 and four in the league and 12-11. and 11. So, um, 
if UCF does lose to UConn, that would tie him in the loss column with Cincinnati. And I think that's the point that you're making right there is, you know, then at what point do you – and I know UCF had the one-point win against Cincinnati earlier this year, and that's certainly a game in hand, but – but you're Very right. Yeah, the, the margin of error for for those games, especially you know, because you just don't know what kind of punch you're going to get from you know Tulane and and at Houston road game to finish out the season on CBS Sports Network. You just you don't know what you're going to get. One little slip, and then all of a sudden you're you know you're 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 on you're on the same side of the bracket as UConn for the for the conference championship. So yeah, that's and you could be in the bubble. I mean, yeah, that's the more significant story. I mean, you the problem is. You drop maybe two of those games you just mentioned down the stretch. Of those two of those four games, that could get you into the bubble because again, the league is down, and you're not getting any quality wins, but you might get some bad losses in your resume. Yeah. So I mean, we'll have to see. You know, I, what, what we're looking for here is a good effort, stay healthy. You know, kind of. <laughs> you know, and, and and you know, I would love to see a situation where you know, hey. Maybe the game's in doubt down the stretch. Who knows? Um, but I think the other thing is, you know, it, it, you have to shake off that game as quickly as possible and get ready for the game. Well, don't turn the ball over. If they yeah. turn the ball over like they did in the first quarter in the first meeting, it's, it's going to be that's where UConn just feces off of you. They have to yeah. protect the basketball. You know that UConn's going to press a little bit early as well. Uh, Got to pass you know, well. UConn, you know, I mean, yeah. it's and and run the and shot would, clock and limit their yeah. possessions. So, yep, shorten the game. Yep. So, all right, we'll be watching that again Sunday at 2 p.m. on ESPN3 UCF against UConn. All right, we're going to take a break. Come on back. Murph, Lo Elo, and myself are in the room with Greg Lovelady, head baseball coach at UCF for part two of our UCF baseball preview. Um, we sit down with Love to talk about the upcoming season, what he's got planned. Um, little rotation talk, talk about the guys who he's expecting to step up in the order. And, you know, baseball talk, because we love baseball talk, as always. So stick around. Coming up next, we've got that and plenty more. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. 
Eric Lopez here. And when you're not listening to me on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast yelling at Jeff Sharon or talking baseball with Brian Murphy, you can actually listen to me on another podcast with a fellow UCF alum, unlike smarter Victor Anderson and I. We host In the Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. We cover all the world of softball. So if you're UCFA, we talk UCF, we talk how Coach Gillespie's going to do at Iowa. We talk all the topics in college softball, pro softball, and international softball. So give us a follow on In the Circle SB on Twitter and on Facebook. It's In the Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week on the podcast. Check us out there. Back now to the Black and Gold Banneret. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Let's dive into part two of our 2019 UCF baseball preview. Last week, we heard from some of the players from Media Day and sort of discussed uh, how th- how we expect things to break down. And this week, gentlemen, we all crowded into Greg Lovelady's office for uh, our, for our preseason interview with uh, with Coach, which is the last you know the last two years we've done this has just been a blast. We finally all got in there and and just shot the breeze about baseball, which is great. Um, one of my most fun things to do um, because, I mean, Greg is so, you know, he's laid back, he gets it, and he mm-hmm. and he and he's just the kind of guy, I, like, I could talk with him for, you know, if he would let me for hours just about the game itself and how you actually strategize baseball and understand, you know, and, and understand the baseball from the, understand the game from a player's perspective, Murph. I loved it to death, didn't you? Well, he's always very approachable, and I love that he allows us to do this, you know, come in and, and take up his time for 30 minutes, 35 right. minutes, uh, you know, three days before the start of his season. Um, yeah. It's really – and, again, he's very he's very honest. He's very open. He talks. You know, he loves to talk, which is great for us. And, uh, yeah, it's it's really becoming it, – it's a, it's a nice little uh, BGB tradition what we've it's, got here. It's our, it's our annual – you know, preseason face to face, one on one, or now three on one interview with Greg Lovelace. It's uh, it, you know, we got to break out the Jim Nance voice and say it's a tradition unlike any other. So, yeah. All right, let's dive right on in. Here is our interview with UCF head baseball coach Greg Lovelady. All right, we are back in the coach's office with Greg Lovelady getting ready for the 2019 season of UCF baseball. And now it's all right. It's me. It's Lopez. Brian is Brian going to join us a little bit later? Or is he no, stuck I, in basketball? Yeah, he's jumped the ship to basketball now. Okay. Well, well, all right. Well, you're stuck with us now. Sorry. Right. So, um, <laughs> uh, and, but however, I did promise you guys that we will set aside the final five minutes ah, to talk wrestling. I'm very upset with that industry right now, but that's another story. But what we'll, happened? Uh, we'll talk we'll, about we'll that later, in the last more. five minutes. <laughs> Um, all right, Greg Lovelady joining us here to talk about 2019. And um, last year, 2018, you're heading into your third year now. Last time we talked to you, you weren't all that thrilled about how things kind of ended up. Let's just put it that way. And yet, this team finished 35-21, and 21, uh, was above 500 in the American. The tournament didn't go, obviously, the way you hoped, but everything was right there. So my my question to start out is, Based on how last year ended, have things gone the way you've wanted to as you begin this season? I mean, I think so. I mean, I think we've spent a lot of time on, on you know, we have, it's a weird, it's a weird situation this year because we have so many returning guys, but 
the other situation, we still have 16 new players, so half our team is new. Um, and so we get a lot of, like, starters back, so that, especially offensively, that really helps us, I think, with the experience. And then on the mound, we, you know, we have a you know, we lost a lot of guys to the draft, but we have also, you know, Chris Williams and Jordan Spicer uh, are back on on the you know on the weekends, and uh, and then we brought in two grad transfers and, and a couple of junior college kids that you know are really going to help us. And so, um, but I think the biggest thing for us was the team camaraderie and one getting those new players acclimated. But you know, I felt like last year I think that it's some of that um, really affected us, um, and. Uh, and also a learning experience. I think that last year, I think we were so talented. Um, you know, I felt like we really underachieved, and I think that's why it was really hard to swallow not making it to the tournament. When you kind of think you're that kind of club and you don't make it, it's like, ah, we were so close. But I felt like we had a chance um, with the talent that we had, especially on the mound, that we could have been better. So I think it really, really bothered me. Um, but we also learned that just because we were talented, it just doesn't mean that you get to get in the NCAA tournament. Like, you still got to show up. You still got to win. So... I think there was a lot of days where maybe we just went through the motions or the guys just kind of threw their gloves out there like, yeah, this game doesn't matter or whatever the case is, like, we're going to win it. And uh, I'm hoping that that was a punch in the face that they realized that every game matters, every practice matters, every rep matters, and if you want to be the best team that you can and make sure that you're not on the bubble, then you got to be able to, to, to maximize every day. And so uh, the team camaraderie has been great. Those, those the, the transfers and the, the JUCO kids – there's a lot of guys that are really comfortable in their skin. Obviously, the the 23 year olds are just they're already men, and so there there was no step like I got to be careful on eggshells. They just walked in and said, "This is who I am. Let's go. Let's go get better." And so I think that just and it's amazing. We had a meeting and all the new players like the first day, which they had probably been in town for maybe three or four days, and it was like they were all like best friends. And I'm like, and they were real loose. And I was like, this is just weird. Usually, it's more like quiet. Everybody's around me. Like coaches here. That's not how it was, and so camaraderie's been awesome, um, and I think the experience is going to definitely help us this year. That sounds a lot like when you got here. If you think back to like your first year and how you know the atmosphere really changed, I feel like the and you also had a lot of senior leaders that year too. Yeah. Do you feel that same way? Kind of some parallels. With um, that team? you know, it's kind of too early to tell. You know, I don't, I haven't seen the leadership that that team had yet. Um, but I don't know if I if I sat here the week before the season started and said like. You know these guys, these seniors are great leaders. They had done a great job of buying in, and but it's hard to tell when you're not competing and there's not any failure. Like, who really is a great leader? Uh, it's really be it's really easy to be a great leader when things are going right and you're at practice and you want and you and you you got a new coach and you're trying to impress them, you know that kind of thing. But once once things start going wrong, like then where's the leadership go? So uh, we got a lot of experience, and I'm I'm excited to see kind of who steps up as the leaders when a game doesn't go the right way or a week doesn't go the right way and, and kind of see if, if we have that type of leadership that we did my first year. Obviously, you've decided on your weekend rotation. What what goes into a decision like that? Is, I know when we talked a few weeks back on media day, you were still trying to figure that out. Just take us through that process. Is, obviously, it's only the opening weekend, so it could change on a given weekend. But uh, talk about the weekend rotation you've yeah. decided. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're trying to give guys a chance. I mean, I don't want to shut down the competition at any point. I mean, I want, I want guys to, one, think or know that they have a chance to continue to compete. I want to see guys that aren't going to rest on the fall or the past experiences. Like, I want to see guys out there trying to get better. And at the end of the day, like I always tell the guys, like my um, loyalty is to the 35 guys as a group. Um, and so I want to make sure that we put the best guy out there on, on Friday night, not the best guy that pitched last year, not the most experienced guy. I want to put the guy that I think gives us the best chance to win the game. And I got to get as much information as I possibly can. I want guys to compete till the end. And so, um, again, I think, you know, going in, I, there's been a couple of changes, obviously, with Willie not being able to be there. 
But um, I mean, I think again, even what, if you had asked me what, my, what we thought our rotation was going to be going into January practice to what it is now, it's slightly different. And so uh, the guys did a great job. But obviously, Grant Schuerman is going to pitch on Friday nights for us. Um, just again, has over 200 innings at Furman, grad transfer. He's old. Um, he's been through the ringer. He understands what the preparation is like. Um, things don't get to him. I mean, even when he's pitched. You know, and got himself into some jams at practice. He's not going to panic and freak out like he's been in that. He knows how to manage innings. He knows how to to pitch. Um, he's he's a, a left-handed pitcher that, that's not going to blow you away with velocity, but he has just that experience and that kind of, um, you know, the just that that um, just the way about him that he can that can compose himself on the mound. And so he'll go Friday night. Saturday will be uh, Trevor Holloway, uh, junior college kid from Chipola who did an unbelievable job of helping them win a national championship. It was probably their best arm the last month of the season when they ran through the playoffs. And, um, you know, he's got some some great stuff. Um, again, um, just being able to harness it and being able to compete every week is going to be a big step for him, but um, at this level especially. So I, I'm excited, though. I mean, he's got the, he's got Friday night type of stuff. Um, you just got to be able to throw enough strikes and, and be able to control the running game and do those types of things. And then, uh, and then Jordan Spicer will pitch on Sunday. Um, obviously a guy that got six starts for us and 15 appearances last year so um, he, he's kind of gone through he, he again he's a guy that I think the the experience and the maturity that I've seen over him over the last 12 months has been really remarkable and so um, you know there was glimpses of greatness last year um, and then you know outings where it just was a disaster and so I think he's going to be a lot more consistent just because of his approach and the maturity and the experience and he knows what to expect I think he's going to be a, a really going to help us a lot going to win a lot of games for us on Sundays. With the bats, mm-hmm. good news is you got four of your top five hitters back. Yeah. The oh, there he is. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. Sorry. What's up, Murph? Hey, Murph is here. We were just waiting for a question. Like you start asking a question, then I can budget. I want to budget in front of your answers. <laughs> you can budge in whatever you want. No, no, he was giving he was giving gold. I had to... <laughs> anyway, everybody told him you sold this out for basketball. He's going to tell me that I'm asking the next question wrong or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to I was going to ask you um, next because we just got done talking about the pitching. Um, in terms of your bats, you got four of your top five back. That's the good news. The bad news is the top guy's gone. Mm-hmm. So, what are you expecting from the, from that particular at that particular group, and who do you want to see step up? Yeah, you know, obviously, Rylan Thomas is irreplaceable. Um, but with the experience and the depth, I think one through nine that we have this year, I think we're going to make it up on a you know not one guy. You just it's impossible to make up one trade one player for one player with when you're talking about a guy like Ryland Thomas. But I think one through nine is going to be be able to make up for it. Um, so again, I don't think we're going to have that one guy as good as Ryland, but I think we're going to have nine better guys than we did last year. Um, and I, so I think those hopefully will be able to to kind of make up for it. So obviously Dallas Beaver and Tyler Osick are the two power guys in the middle of the lineup that. Um, you know, have now have a ton of experience, a ton of at bats, and they're going to kind of be the the power guys that are going to take over for what we lost with Ryan. Obviously, having Ray and Micah um, back is going to be two guys that can steal bases and, and get on base for those guys that are going to knock them in. Anthony George missing last year; he was one most improved players in the fall and in January, and he's got a chance to really be one of our better hitters. Um, you know, Griff Bernardo, you know, who started, um, you know. I don't know, 20-something games last year, 30-something games, um, is, is had a great summer, had an unbelievable fall, uh, just a different person leadership-wise, different person confidence-wise. He, he's going to probably be the biggest guy that we need to have step up. Um, 
and play a lot better than he did last year. But what I've seen so far has been has been nothing but that. So I'm excited about that. Obviously, Brandon Hernandez, uh, who hit nine hole for us all last year, has, has continued to, to grow. And again, the experience, he's just having tougher at-bats. He walked a lot last year, just didn't have a high average. So, I mean, I expect him to hit a little bit better and still continue to walk and steal bases. And he'll probably hit nine hole again. But those are the type of guys you want in the nine hole to get on base and, and get the top of the order and uh, somebody on base to bring home. So, um, you know, and we got some guy like Pedro Castellano, junior college kid who's probably been our best hitter the last three weeks and so we're kind of excited about what that's going to bring and um, what he's going to do for us uh, and then you got a guy Dalton Wingo again a freshman last year who um, has the ability uh, and just needs to kind of put it all together and so again if if he ends up being uh, the guy that he I know that he will be at some point the sooner he gets to that I mean it's going to be a shot in the arm for our offense so um, so those guys are kind of the the, the nine or ten guys that are really going to really help us right from the gate, and, and then you kind of see see how things go. When you got a guy like Anthony back, how much, obviously offensively he had, a help, he had a great fall, but also how much does he help you with your pitching staff and his ability to catch? Um, you know, I, I, Logan Heiser did an unbelievable job last mm-hmm. year. I mean, he was a guy that had started obviously for three or four years, obviously with the hip issues. You know, that was probably his biggest downfall and just being hurt and staying healthy. But, um, you know, I... I Logan was tough just because of physically it was hard for him to play every single day. The catching just wore on him. It just it affected his offense so much. But at the end of the day, I told him, like, I don't care. I just just be a great catcher, manage the staff. And so, um, you know, it's tough to lose a guy like that. I mean, losing a catcher that can handle a staff is very, very difficult. So it's a seamless transition to go a guy like Anthony who has the experience, who's older, who knows what it's like, who's been in the program. He's not a transfer or whatnot. So he knows, uh, you know, especially all the returning pitchers and um, and being the number one guy from the get-go out of the fall. Like, he's he's done a great job of, of getting to know all the new players. So it makes a seamless transition defensively. Um, and then hopefully now with his offensive prowess, it just gives us another bat um, in the lineup that's really just going to – um, help us again make up for the loss of Rylan. Do you think Tyler Rosa? You talked so much about Tyler Rosa again, media day. Does he have the highest ceiling of any offensive piece here? Um, in terms of numbers wise, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, Dalton probably has the highest upside in terms of just physical ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tyler can just hit. I mean, he's just a hitter. Like, he, he is just a professional hitter where, you know, he has professional at bats. He's not a guy have to pull the ball he hits the ball to all fields um he's in the cages at all times i mean he just he wants to hit like if, <laughs> if you told him you know he doesn't like the dh but like, like if you told me couldn't hit like he, he quit baseball like that's just what he loves to do and mm-hmm. um and he takes a lot of pride in it and uh i just think again he missed the whole year before with tommy john surgery um, in junior college, so he hadn't played in a year. And then he came here, and just again learning what this level was like. He'd gone to an NAI school out of high school. Um, you know, not that he was unprepared. I mean, he had a great year, and I think that again, a lot of it was new and learning how to handle it all, and and the pitching, and knowing that again, there's no easy, no easy weekends. Like it's a grind every time. And how do you have an at bat? How do you have a weekend? Not allow things to bleed over and. Um, and again, I think that he's out to prove. I think that he's kind of been shortchanged on a lot of things in terms of all conference and and draft stuff as a, as the a numbers that he's had. Like in terms of being one of the top, you know, seniors in the country offensively. And um, you know, I think he's got a lot to prove. And I think he's excited to go out there and and prove it. I mean, he's been working really really hard, and I know he cares about. Um, and he's been a great teammate. A much better teammate um, and really more about the team than himself and even though that stuff's motivating him he wants to win he wants to end on a good note and so I'm expecting like a huge year out of him. Matthew Micah is a four-year starter Mm -hmm. Um, 
leadership starts with him, I assume, on this, on, maybe on this entire team? Yeah, I mean, he's a different type of leader. He just brings a lot of energy. Uh, he's high, high energy. I mean, if you're a practice, like, you know, i got to put earplugs in sometimes. Just so much as he's <laughs> screaming and yelling and talking. Or he's talking. FaceTiming you a lot. Yeah, he FaceTimes me all the time just to say hi and check in or ask me a question that is irrelevant that he could have waited till tomorrow or texting me about. But... <laughs> But that's him. And that's his personality, and you have to you have to accept those kids for what they are. And uh, I'm not, you know, I, as a head coach, like I'm very aware that personality can be a really good thing. And so, you know, I, I have to have a lot of conversations with Matthew about the line and where it, where we draw it, and making sure he doesn't cross it. And it's a constant conversation. But um, he wants to get as close to that line and have as much fun. He brings a lot of energy and positive um, laughter, and uh, can kind of you know, break the tense moments or whatnot. And so, uh, but he plays the game extremely hard um, and he loves to play. And, and that's something that is really hard to teach. And so it's always good to have that guy on the on the field playing that hard and, and with that type of energy um, that's going to help hopefully rub off on everybody else. Except for the phone bill. Except for the phone bill. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the bullpen because it's such a big part of college baseball. Baseball in general today, mm-hmm. with all the technology now, it's harder for starters to throw complete games because of all the advanced technology yeah. and information. How do you feel about your bullpen here going into the season? Uh, do you feel you have a good idea about everybody's role? Or is it one of those things as the season goes out, you'll try different things in the bullpen? I mean, I think you try different things always. I mean, I think those first five weekends are always a, a test for conference and trying to figure out what's the best role. I mean, you have ideas always, but... When the lights go on, it always changes. I mean, a guy like Garrett Westberg, who last year at this time of year, um, I don't think we had high expectations for. And he didn't pitch the first weekend or two. And then, you know, threw in an inter-squad game and, and threw a little bit better than he had before. Probably was a little bit upset he wasn't playing playing as much as he wanted to. And, and just how the bullpen worked out. Next thing you know, he was the last guy to go save the game against Florida. And he went out there and was unbelievable. And we, we were like... Wait a minute! Like, who's that? And uh, and then so the next night he came back and saved it again against Florida. And so, really, I think when the lights go on, it changes everything. So obviously, we have him back, and so we have high expectations for him. Uh, Jeff Hackinson, who had our worst ERA on our team last year, but every other number, batting average again, strikeout to walk ratio or strikeouts per nine, he had the highest. Um, and he's made an unbelievable jump. He went on and had a great summer. Uh, he was throwing 88 to 90 miles an hour last year. He's uh, touched 97, uh, but usually pitching in the 93 to 94, 95 range, and it's really, really hard to hit. He's got a Max Scherzer-type delivery with a big head jerk, and all of a sudden, like, you kind of see a bunch of things flailing, and the next thing you know, the ball's coming in. So 94 looks like probably 100 um, in terms of the, the way pit, uh, hitters can pick it up. So you know, I think he'll end up being the closer um, just because of the stuff. Uh, Kyle Kemp is, again, the other grad transfer from, from Lipscomb, has pitched in a ton of innings and a ton of big games. I mean, he saved games. He started games. He was Lipscomb's um, guy for the last couple of years where, like, when they needed an out, he was the guy on the mound. If they needed to bring him in the seventh when the bases loaded, that he was the guy. And if it was the save situation, he was the guy. And if it was a big midweek game and they wanted him to start <laughs> and throw a couple innings, he was the guy. And so, uh, you know, missed in the fall with some some just some tenderness in the elbow, and we just kind of, like, wanted to baby him. But, you know, he was up to 94 yesterday in inter-squad, and, um, you know, he's kind of getting healthy and getting better. And, and, again, he has that maturity and the experience that we needed at the back end. Uh, Zach Helsel, a Juco kid out of Miami-Dade uh, by, by the wings of Liberty. Uh, he's from State College, Pennsylvania. Um, low arm angle, sidearm guy. Like, he's been really, really impressive. I mean, he's one of those guys that's real comfortable in his own skin. He works really, really hard. He knows what he is. Um, 
his velo's been climbing a little bit, um, and, and he's had a lot of success. I mean, yesterday he looked really, really good in inter squad game. So I mean, uh, and then Jack Sinclair, who, who's you know kind of we was a kind of a midweek starter last year, and we've kind of shortened the innings in terms of letting him go one or two innings at a time, and I think that that's kind of let him rear back and fire it and not try to keep anything in the tank. Uh, so his velo's up. So, I mean, I think those guys um, have really stood out. And, you know, I think that's five guys that kind of at the back end of the bullpen, like, I'm really excited. I mean, that's where games are won and lost in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. And you better have guys that can shut the door, that have the stuff um, to be able to, to face lefties or righties and, and get them out. And I think that we have those guys that can do that. Last year you had Bryce at the start of the year just kind of uh, you know penned in as the closer, and then as he started to struggle, it became more of a uh, a roleless bullpen. It just mm-hmm. whoever whoever is you know, right for the situation. So is there a true closer on this team, or is it just your high leverage guys that you use in high yeah, leverage I mean, situations? I think, you know, I think in the past I'd like to have a, a lockdown closer, but you know, again, like. I think it becomes really hard when you're facing three, four, five in the eighth inning. Mm-hmm. Do you wait and put in the second best guy, or do you, or do you let the closer go in and throw the eighth, and then bring the the next best guy to face seven, eight, nine? So I mean, I think the options are, are plentiful. Um, I think Hackson and 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 Kemp are the two kind of guys that we feel like have the ability to save between their stuff and yeah. their experience. Um, so I don't know if one of them. Again, I think I'll use those first five weeks to see if one of those guys really separates themselves. But I think. You know, some of the leverage situations, some of the things that are important. Um, you know, like if you told me, hey, it's the eighth inning, the bases are loaded in two outs, and we're bringing in somebody. Like right now, I'm going to bring in Kemp just because he has that experience, and then I'll let Hackinson go out in the ninth inning. Um, if it's a clean inning and it's three, four, five, like then I probably would let Hackinson go out there and, and in the eighth, and then let Kemp come in in the ninth. Um, just a clean inning, I, you know, again, until we kind of get through those first couple weeks and. You know, again, Jeff didn't pitch in a ton of high leverage situations last year, so I want to see him in those kind of situations and, and how he handles it uh, before I kind of go and anoint him as the closer or whatnot. And and again, Kemp, I haven't seen enough of him. I've seen enough to know that he's really good. I just haven't again seen him. He hasn't had to, hasn't had to close out a, a game or an inner squad or whatnot where where something's on the line. So. Um, Again, I think that's what the first four weeks, four or five weeks are about, is finding what's the best role and who we trust the most and who can handle the, the, the pressure situations. Oh, go ahead. You, you got a new a pitching coach to mm-hmm. run it uh, with Nick bringing him in. What was it about him that you felt that was the right guy to bring in? Um, you know, obviously a little bit of comfortability knowing Nick for the last nine years. Um, you know, obviously Xavier was, was 40 minutes away from, from Wright State. So we, we, you know, when I was a recruiting coordinator at Wright State, we were on the road, you know, um, hanging out. And then obviously we were playing each other three or four times a year. Um, and Xavier is a very, very tough place uh, to recruit to. Uh, just a private school. It's 60 something thousand dollars. Um, you know, with the competition up in Ohio, there's 12 Division One baseball schools. And so, um, you know, the success, obviously, the Ohio State is just just Ohio State and, and the success of Wright State and uh, Kent State and, and obviously Louisville and Indiana. And, and those schools are coming in and taking kids. Um, it was amazing just to see the success that they had. I mean, they were one of the top, you know, Wright State, Kent State, and Xavier were the three best teams in Ohio. Um, and I think it was really, really hard to find um, – finished products to come to Xavier um, and so they were kids that you know were okay that that's that's a good player that they signed and then three years later you're like jaws dropped and he's throwing harder than anybody else and he's an all-conference guy and so you just saw this unreal development um, the basis of my recruiting philosophy and what we want this program to be about is about developing and getting kids here and making them better not only on the field but off the field 
And so, again, I don't know if there is anyone that has developed pitchers the way that he has in terms of being non-draft guys to draft guys. I mean, it's one thing to take a guy, you know, at a big big school and say, hey, this guy is good, and then three years later he's a first-rounder. And, you know, again, that's great. That's great development. But that gap between what he was when he got there to what he was when he left isn't nearly as good as the guys that, that Nick had that were coming in that probably not one scout knew about and then all of a sudden being a top five round draft pick that gap was so big and that's what I was looking for to continue what Justin had, had done is to make sure that we continue that development process um, and I think I, I probably went a step further just with the um, amount of knowledge that Nick has and just making sure that every part of their body and their arms are developed and um, making sure that they're prepared, the most prepared pitcher out there every time they go out there. I mean, it's been remarkable just to see the amount of work that the pitchers have put in to, to get where they're at right now. Go ahead. Do you, uh, I mean, looking at this staff and this team, I mean, you've got the stadium now, you know, it's nice to, for a change not to have construction around. Yeah. How, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of finished products. Yeah, yeah, the stadium's kind of a finished product. I mean, how do you feel about the stadium now that's looking? Do you feel that certainly there's a vibe there? Because I remember last year there was a lot of distractions and things, and maybe that kind of foreshadowed the season. Now all of a sudden everything seems to be complete. Everybody can focus on the and locked in. Yeah, no no doubt. I mean, the less we're worried about where the construction guys are and if somebody's going to die, <laughs> then, then, the more we can... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the more we can focus on trying to try to throw strikes and, and hit the ball, you know. So um, definitely, I think it was just a lot of outside noise at the beginning of the season that I don't know took away from the opening night and in the first month of the season. But I mean, for me, for sure, I mean, I sat here looking out my window like yelling in every time I saw somebody sit down and no, get up, let's get this thing finished. Like I got a timeline here, so. And I'm not having to worry about that, but just being able to concentrate on the guys and, and, you know, the season and not making sure that people aren't going to show up because the stadium's not ready or whatnot. Like, I definitely think it brings a different vibe and to know that we're going to be more focused on playing the games, especially me as well, that, than we are about whether the stadium's going to be ready or what's going on up there. So um, it definitely definitely helps to have it all done and not have to worry about it anymore. This this university as a whole has had a lot of the NCAA uh, uh you know, just a lot of access because you had men's soccer, volleyball, both basketballs put themselves in position. Mm-hmm. Obviously, football uh, did what it did, championship, uh, and then cheerleading won a, a national title. Um, so, with all with all this sort of NCAA tournament su- uh, success, does that put pressure on this on 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 this program or you specifically? I mean, I think for today? sure. I mean, you're obviously trying to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, mm-hmm. you you don't want to be the team that's bringing the the university or the athletic department down, and so. Um, but I think it's healthy. I mean, it's not a, a you know, my gosh, like we got to do better than them. Or I think it's just healthy competition to know that hey, like these these other programs are 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 answering the bell, yeah. and and we got to do we got to do our part. And I mean, I think that we talk a lot about making sure that um, you know we want to try to be the gold standard of of the athletic department. And uh, um, there's a lot of teams that are that are vying for that and fighting for that. And I think that that makes us all better. I mean, it pushes everybody. And, uh, you see what football's doing. You see what I mean. Every sport again. You, you you hit it on the head. I mean, everybody's doing such a great job. And so, one a true testament to Danny and, and the administration. But um, we got to be able to 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 match and bring that same type of energy and and to bring the same type of success. We have the ability. We have the the resources. We have the the things that we need to do that. And now we got to go out on the field and 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 be able to show it. And, and so again, I, I definitely think it brings some more pressure. Um, but I think it's healthy. 
uh, competition, it's healthy pressure, and the guys understand like, hey, uh, this is what the standard is at, at UCF, and we got we got to do our part. Schedule a uh, tough schedule. You got Auburn week two after you see any got Stetson in the midweeks. You got Florida, Florida uh, going there. You go to you got Florida State. You got Miami on the schedule. And this conference, top five conference, I keep repeating that to everybody, that people don't, I think this is the flagship sport for the league. It's one of the best, uh, you know, conferences in college baseball. Uh, just discuss that schedule and kind of the philosophy, your philosophy behind it. Well, I mean, I want to play the best teams possible. I mean, every, every weekend I want to, preseason, I want to try to challenge us for conference. I want to make sure that we're prepared for that. I also want to play regional type teams because I want to make sure that we have a gauge of this is what, you know, you bring in a, a team like Auburn who's going to be a top top 10 team and you say okay here we go let's measure ourselves up against the top 10 team you want to go to a super regional this is the type of team you have to you have to compete with you have to beat so where are we you know and so sometimes it can be eye-opening in a negative way and be like whoa like we got a lot to work on and something can be like okay you see how close we are like these are the types of teams that are going to super regionals and we were this you know we were just a little bit deficient here we were better than them here we were a little bit deficient here we were better than them in here so let's work on those deficiencies understand that hey like we can we can compete with these guys um, and hopefully that brings a sense of confidence for the rest of the year but also when you get to the playoffs like we're battle tested and we understand and there's never that um, that like okay like all right we made it through conference now we're in a super regional or regional and we're playing Auburn like Okay, this is a bit no. This this is we played this you know not going to be Auburn, but it it could be somebody else. Where it's sure. like, hey, this is this is an equivalent of Auburn, and we we hung with those guys. These guys are no better, no worse. Let's just go out. We worked on the things we were deficient at. Now let's go play the game. And so there's, um, it just takes away that the, just kind of that open eyed, you know. When you go into a regional, you can kind of be like, oh my gosh, all right, like we have to beat these guys. And no. It's, they're no different than the other teams we played all year. Um, and so I think that gets us ready. And then obviously the conference is just an absolute grind. Like, it's amazing how difficult it is. And you know, the amount of pro prospects and, like, just dudes that are out there in the depth. And there's no off weekends, like zero off weekends. I mean, you can lose two out of three to any team in our league. Um, I think it's unlike any other league in the entire country in terms of that. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think we're – Again, from you talk about top to bottom in terms of the amount of pro prospects, the amount of NCAA teams, per, you know, percentage-wise, like I think we're the second best league in the in the entire country, um, and um, it, it's it's a lot tougher than I probably thought it was when I came here, um, just from the outside, um, and just seeing the coaching um, and the players, and and again, just how difficult it is every single week. It's for this game, especially the game of baseball, where it's literally a failure-based game, and to know that you know sometimes you like those weekends where you get to kind of pad your stats, feel better about yourself. There are none of those. Um, and then with our schedule this year with VCU and Penn State and Jacksonville, there's there's none of those weekends. Um, it's a grind every single weekend. Makes us tougher, puts us in a better shot to, to make it in the NCAA tournament RPI-wise. Um, but you still got to win some of those games, and so we got to be prepared every weekend. But again, I think that's a great. That's a great challenge for us to get ourselves prepared for the for the regionals. Your Miami and Florida State. What's unique, of course, as I see a photo of Jim Morris. He's not going to be there, which is going to be strange when you say go play Miami. Mm-hmm. This is Mike Martin's last year at Florida State. Before you know it, you're going to be one of the veterans yeah. in this state <laughs> coaching. 
you know, you know those two. You've coached with uh, Jim Morris. You played under Jim Morris. You've coached against them. You've coached against uh, Mike Martin and played against them. Do you see yourself being like them 20, 30 years from now coaching? Is that something that's crossed your mind? Is that, or is that like the further, like you don't even can't even comprehend what they those guys done? Um, I don't think I can comprehend. Um, I mean, if I'm still coaching college baseball in twenty years, I'm gonna be really, really grateful. I mean, if I have half the wins that Mike Martin and Jim Morris have, like I'll be ecstatic. Um, <laughs> I mean, those guys are Mount Rushmores of college baseball, um, and so it's really, really hard to envision. I mean, there's been you know, you're talking about, you know, two of the best four or five coaches that have ever coached at this level. Um, luckily, I've got a front row seat for both of them, um, and they've been great. One's been a great mentor. One's been a great teacher, even though he hasn't tried to teach me, just watching him and playing in the other dugout. The amount of information that I've, I've learned from, from 11 has been, been unreal. Um, but... You know, you talk about all the college coaches that have come through the door and out the door in the last 40 years. Um, there aren't many that are still standing, and there are not many that have been that successful. And so uh, I don't think anyone can aspire to be that great. I think it's just something that, you know, they just they just had it, and, and they've done an unbelievable job. And so I, I'm not going to compare myself to those guys ever um, because it's going to be – I'm going to fall short every single time. So I'm just going to try to worry about – this team and you know and I'm sure that's how they did it they just kept worrying about this year's team and next you know you look back 40 40 years later and you've won 40 games 40 years in a row and you've been to regional 44 <laughs> seven straight times and and you do all that kind of stuff and so um anyone that tries to compare themselves to two guys that are on Mount Rushmore is, I think is is absolutely nuts well, here's to maybe one day. You never know. Yeah. The next journey starts on uh, Friday at 6.30 with the uh, first of three. Six. Six, six o'clock. Moved, moved, moved up to six. That's right. Okay. More family oriented six, around here. <laughs> six o'clock against Siena. For, we're starting with Siena for like the umpteenth year in a row. Remember it used to be Monmouth? Those Monmouth. Used to be Monmouth, now it's Siena, yeah. and now it's Siena. So we're just pulling teams down from the northeast. Well, yeah, you're not going to go play in 15 degree weather. So well, that's correct. Well, yeah, but I'm talking it's about. 80, you know, it's probably, I used to love the Monmouth it's games. It's 12. It's 80 degrees here. I know, but I used to love the Monmouth games because I'm from New Jersey, and like I used to pronounce these kids' hometowns. And I was the only guy who knew how to do it. <laughs> <You> were, <laughs> uh, background. But uh, uh, all right, I promised you guys five minutes uh. to talk wrestling. No, I'm well, no. He, well, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. Jeff actually wants to get into I'm wrestling now, now. No, listen. I'm now pro wrestling curious. I was, yeah, I know, right? Um, because well, life. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm 35. Uh, but no, I, I because for for whatever reason, so I work over at Full Sail full time, mm-hmm. and and we and we yeah, have, have NXT, NXT over there, and uh, and then for some reason, I stumbled across CM Punk's pipe bomb, and I was like. This is amazing television. I'm completely gripped by this, and I don't, and I really shouldn't be because I was never a pro wrestling fan. Like beyond Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, I mean, like that's it. Right. You know, or used to rock. mock so, me all the time. I, I, well, I've mocked the two of them. Yeah. And then, but uh, but okay. So so here's my question to you, as a as a late in life rookie here. You know, I'm like the uh, who's the guy that they did the movie on with Dennis Quaid? Oh, Jim. Uh, Jim Morris. Jim Morris. Yeah. Uh, as like a Jim Morris pro style pro wrestling fan. Okay. What what should I be Watching or looking for right now? Huh, well, I mean, geez, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, what's the front door? What's the front door I need to go through? I mean, through? you got to get onto the Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and the, the the women. I mean, Becky Lynch and and Charlotte Flair and uh, and Ronda Rousey. I mean, obviously brings the the outside wrestling fan in. And um, but then you got the new startup with the all all elite wrestling with you know Cody Rhodes and those guys starting that stuff's so gonna be. I think it'll be pretty interesting. I think it'll be the first time that they're going to probably do it the right way. I think that's going to, you know, 
it's not going to be in the next 10 years, but that eventually could compete with WWE. So um, I probably will not follow it that much other than reading about it because I don't have enough time in my life to, to follow you gotta two, wait till wrestle, the summer. two wrestling yeah. Uh, yeah. Court, you know, uh, entities. So I'll stay with the WWE, stay true and loyal to, to the people that, that I fell in love with from, <laughs> from the get-go. So, But, um, you know, welcome to the dark side. <laughs> Right. That's, that's, that's the way, right there. That's the perfect way to right here. That's perfect. <laughs> Greg Lovelady, once again, UCF baseball coach and uh, connoisseur of professional wrestling. Thanks again, Coach. Good luck on Friday. We'll see you then. Appreciate it. having me. Thanks again to Coach, and uh, thanks also to Ian McDougal uh, for uh, setting everything up. Uh, Ian is uh, I- Ian is our he is clutch man. So I want to thank him for everything uh, that 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 he helps us out with on a daily and weekly basis especially with baseball so um all right well your impressions i i feel like um the the issues that made their way into and around the program toward the end of last year that greg was talking about you know when we saw him last um i feel as though he he feels optimistic that they have been resolved obviously we won't know until they take the field right but um but but I aside from the actual on field questions that he has to that that he and the rest of the team really have to answer about the pitching staff and who steps up in the order and all that it's it, it seems like he really likes the the makeup of this team heading into the season no yeah and he's talked about that with like some of their grad transfers that they brought in how those guys you know have brought in a sense of a looseness because they've done it before they've been here you know at other places for two three or four seasons so they bring that experience with them and and thereby they also sort of bring a the, the, a knowledge and a, a sort of a sense of what to expect that they can kind of pass on to the younger players um, you know Greg is not shy with talking about how some of his freshmen last year like Dalton Wingo and Griffin Bernardo as freshmen were um, at points scared to fail and sort of overwhelmed by the the gravity of the situation with college baseball and the whole trans, you know, the transition to that. Um, and, and I think with with this kind of um, you know these guys that, that he's brought in, um, guys like the Friday Night Starter, Grant Sherman, he they don't have you know great UCF experience because they're just getting here for UCF, but they do have uh, a lot of wealth of knowledge of college baseball, and I think that's going to help the team overall. And and Greg has certainly stressed that. Uh, uh, in in our in our first few times meeting with him before the season about how these veterans are going to help us out throughout the season because uh, the young kids here can just pick their brains. Well, they got well. We find out real quick this uh, this Friday. Uh, Six o'clock is opening night uh, on Friday, February fifteenth. Make sure you're there early, Murph. This time, unlike in the yeah. unlike in our interview. <laughs> um, That's right. Well, we'll make sure that we do because of the uh, also because of the adjusted start time. Six p.m. on Fridays this year. Um, 6 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays. And Saturdays, and then 1 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, so that's the three-game set with Siena. How many straight years have we opened with Siena? I don't think it's been that much. No, I, 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 I got to take a look at the at the series. I don't know. Well, I'll get back that. to that. You look at that. I actually want to ask Murph. Uh, yeah. You talked to the new pitching coach. We talked about Nick Otte there. I asked him about – I asked Coach Lovelady about Nick Otte. You had a chance to talk to him a little bit one-on-one. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts on him and – you know, I mean, the adjustment period there with a the new pitching coach and handling the pitching staff. Uh, Lovelady, obviously, very glowingly about him and how he develops pitchers. Uh, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on Nick? 
Yeah, I mean, it just seems, you know, well, I think a lot of his his uh, philosophies are pretty similar to your to the Justin Parkers of they want to pound the strike zone and not be afraid to to pitch to contact. And really, with the staff they've assembled, they're going to be pitching to contact. Like Grant Sherman is not going to blow you away. He relies on changeups. Uh, he needs he needs to uh, get ground balls to win. Uh, he he needs to keep you know keep his walks down. You know Sherman, who is a Cincinnati native, uh, before he decided to go to Furman, he was actually recruited by both Love Lady at Wright State and Nick Audie when Audie was there at Xavier, uh, and decided to go to uh, Furman instead. And of course, now he's a grad transfer. Uh, those two men are on the same staff together, and now they're all together at UCF. Um, but I, I think you're going to see, and you know, just going up and down the staff. You know, Chris Williams is not a, a huge strikeout pitcher. Trevor Holloway's been okay. Uh, if you look at his previous numbers of strikeouts, jo- Jordan Spicer has really electric stuff if he can't control it. Uh, so uh, this team, this I think this this whole philosophy of pitching to contact, which is kind of something that carries over from the previous regime with Parker, um, is something you're going to be hearing about a lot this year, and something that they sort of um, sport a lot of on their team. Also, let me give a shout out to uh, Drew Roberts, the director of uh, baseball ops, for getting me into that interview as I <laughs> waited outside the door for the for a couple of minutes, waiting uh, for Lovelace Phase, to finish a question. Phase are set to stun, man. We couldn't hear you out there. Sorry about that. That's but, fine. <laughs> uh, by the way, I have an answer to that question. This is the first time since twenty. Uh, actually, the last time UCF did not start the season by playing Siena was twenty twelve. They started with uh, LIU Brooklyn. The last well, I mean, time last year, last year they started the season with Virginia and Rice. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, right. That that's right. Tournament. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're God. here, Murph, to correct Jeff on his. Well, I, okay, this, okay. I apologize this, for that. The yeah. streak of the streak of playing Siena in consecutive years goes back zero years. No, 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 no. <laughs> we did play. <laughs> we did play Siena uh, last year, but it was in early mid March. The last time. <laughs> UCF did not play Siena. Seriously. Um, no, this is interesting. Uh, was 2009. So you're saying that you're saying that they play Siena at some point every season? Every year. Every year. Uh, okay. Like well, no. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll give you some more information. Ready for this? Oh, please. I'm begging you. I know it. you are. Uh, all-time series between UCF and Siena. The Knights lead the series 54-4. to well, well, yep. yeah. Going back to 1977, yeah. it is UCF's highest win percentage against an opponent that they played at least 25 times in program history. And uh, UCF also has more home wins against Siena than against any other team that they have ever played. And that includes Bethune, Cookman, USF, Stetson, and Rollins. I'm sure they're already on the 2020 slate. So you're so yeah. So yeah. Congratulations! I just gave Sienna a ton of bulletin board material on that one. Um, Yeah, Friday at six. uh, UCF and Sienna three game set. UCF trying to get wins number wins numbers 55, 56, and 57 against the Saints, whose mascot is a Saint Bernard, and I think that's awesome. Um, Softball got underway. Eric Lopez. First weekend uh, for Coach Bear, uh, Cindy Ball Malone, as UCF softball coach, they split four games in the Friends of Jacqueline tournament. One got wiped out due to rain against 
um, North Florida. It was it was a rough start. Oh and oh for their first two against Ole Miss and number twenty one Minnesota. But then they come back. They get a win against number twenty four Ohio State on Saturday, and uh, also beat George Mason seven to nothing uh, that same day. So the Knights are two and two before they head out to uh, the big tournament out west, uh, Puerto Vallarta College Challenge against Washington, North Colorado, Northern Colorado, Mississippi State. And Sacramento State, Lopez. I'm going to toss it to you for the for the evaluation of this opening weekend. You know, win over a top 25 team in Ohio State, not bad. Uh, also, win over George Mason. So you go one one against top 25 teams, um, and uh, and and raise a few eyebrows. I think heading into heading into weekend number two. No. Well, it's still to be determined. I think it's a team still learning about each other and learning the new staff and the transition. I mean, they struggled offensively in the first two games. They got shut out by Ole Miss and Minnesota. Minnesota has an all-Big Ten pitcher. They could be a Big Ten pitcher of the year, Pfizer, that shut them out. And they were getting no hit in that Ohio State game Saturday night going into the fourth, fifth inning. And you could just tell in the in the building that they were kind of pressing a little bit. And once Jasmine Esparza got that two RBI double down the line to give him the lead. You could just sense the, you know, kind of relief, Mm -hmm. I think, and excitement that, hey, we can hit the ball. Uh, And they held on to beat Ohio State, and then they uh, carried that momentum over to the George Mason game. You mentioned the UNF game on Sunday was the one they got washed out. It was a terrible day in Orlando, misty weather. Uh, It was just an interesting weekend from that standpoint because there was just a lot of distractions outside the field. the, the softball complex is Thursday in their season opener. There was the men's basketball game that Murph and I were at the Houston game. And then Saturday uh, you had the, what do you got a, what a gimmick football over there with uh, the gimmick there, football. Right? Don't give me that. Anyway, as I, as me and Ian McDougal say, if uh, listen, if there's no kicking game involved, no, no kickoffs, then it's gimmick football. All right. That's just, sorry. Just is what it is. Uh, which was cool by the way, because, I was able to watch the tailgating and all that stuff from softball stadium. It's very interesting. But uh, two and two, uh, they go to Mexico. They got Washington, who's a national title contender right off the bat. Obviously, the storyline's there. Sydney Ball was a former assistant under Heather Tarr back in 2011, I believe. She also coached Victoria Haywood. Victoria Haywood was an All-American at Washington. She's the director of ops at UCF now. Jen Salin was a volunteer coach, All-American, a national champion at Washington when they won the title in 09. So there's a lot of ties to Washington and UCF in that matchup. Mississippi State's also an NCAA tournament team. Uh, They're very talented. Uh, Northern Colorado has a new head coach in Ben Garcia who comes over from Colorado Mesa, which is a Division II powerhouse, top five team. So he's trying to translate that to Division I. And then you got Sacramento State. So uh, we'll see how they handle it. International, first time I believe UCF's ever played international at the Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. So uh, it'll be interesting to see the ball tends to fly out there. So they better hit the ball a little bit. So if they can go two and two, I think this week, I would consider that a success considering the competition they get. Their schedule will get a lot easier following this tournament. And I think they still got to work out some kinks and uh, kind of build some consistency. Well, Puerto Vallarta is right on the coast. So it's not the higher elevation that you get in a place like, you know, Guadalajara, Mexico City. But um uh, still, I mean, actually, really nice. It's actually it's along the main peninsula. It's not even in Baja. So if you know your uh, Mexico geography, it's, wow. it's quite beautiful out there. So no, it's going to be a really nice place to have. Guy Jeff Sherry here, seriously, tour guy. Yeah, no, no, it's not not far from you Guadalajara. Should have gone on the trip with the team here. You could have showed them around. I mean, no, <laughs> not far from Guadalajara. So. 
Um, so it's, I, it should be a really cool experience for the players. And and uh, and then they come back home after that for five, uh, including two against Pitt, one against Penn State, one against Coastal Carolina and La Tech. So, um, so it, again, this this early season tournament business is uh, up and running full swing. They got two double headers next weekend at home. I mean, they're going to be tired heading back from this game. They got the, the two games on Saturday, by the way, are Northern Colorado and Mississippi State. They got Washington on Friday and Sacramento State on Sunday. So, um, so yeah, you got two more top, top 25s. You're going to be under your belt there before you come home um, for one, two tournaments. And then they have one more trip uh, to make in the preseason before conference play starts um, as far as a tournament is concerned with uh, USF. And their Clearwater tournament, yeah, a couple of games, you know, here and there against Stetson and Florida Gainesville before that, but uh, off to a good start. Congratulations, by the way, to uh, Cindy Ball Malone, who, um, uh, by the way, with her first uh, victory, also eclipsed a uh, a milestone. Eric Lopez, uh, her first win uh, at UCF, and I believe that was her uh, was also her one hundredth career victory, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, that's her 100th career win as a head coach. Uh, it was funny. I was talking to her a little bit afterwards. Uh, her first win as a player, she was a two, she was an All-American at Pacific. She's a Hall of Famer. She's the greatest player ever in Pacific softball history. Her first ever win was against uh, – They it was uh, – we were trying to discuss that. We are trying to figure out her first win and things like that in her playing career. One of the things I noticed was her second game of her career – you guys will appreciate it, Her second game of her career, they upset Stanford. Mm-hmm. That had Jessica Mendoza on the field. She actually out hit Jessica Mendoza. If we, if you heard the interview I had with her a couple weeks back on this episode, she's very close with Jessica Mendoza. It's one of her better friends and all that. Weren't they she high school? When they go to high school together too? Correct. They went yeah. to high school together. Uh, so she played in that game in Stanford, and she had a base hit in that game. Mendoza went winless. Another player that played for Stanford on that in that game that pinch ran was the name Ramona Shelbourne. Who's obviously an NBA insider now huh. for ESPN? Really? Yeah. No kidding. Like that. Wow, that is good stuff. <laughs> good well, stuff. So softball guru. Two, the there you go. Softball woes hitting it again. Uh, two and two are the Knights as they head down to Mexico. That should be um, uh, it. Should be an interesting weekend to see how they handle all that together. So uh, I got a couple updates that I wanted to uh, pass along on uh, some other sports here. Um, this weekend, the uh, UCF men's golf team heads to Gainesville for the Gator Invitational two-day event Saturday and Sunday um, up there. So we'll be keeping an eye on uh, Bryce Waller's team. And uh, a quick update on women's golf. They start the weekend uh, in uh, Melbourne at the Moon Golf Invitational, another two-day event. Mon- that's Monday and Tuesday. Uh, and then they've got no no dates on the slate until March so they got some time off after that when they actually have a a, a dual match with ECU at Eagle Creek Golf Club in Orlando on Tuesday March the 5th so uh, best of luck to UCF Golf track and field update for you as well um, they uh, uh, they actually just finished up the Music City Challenge in Nashville They're gonna, their, their next date is going to be the American Athletic Conference Indoor Championships which are held in Birmingham, Alabama, February 22nd through the 24th. So we'll see um, if any nice can qualify for the NCAA indoors, which are slated for uh, March the 8th and the 9th. And then after that, the outdoor season starts the following week uh, at the track and soccer complex, March 15th and 16th with the Black and Gold Invitational. So 
Uh, men's tennis, real quick. They're uh, one in five right now. They uh, off after the after the win at Indiana, they uh, lost six to one at number sixteen Michigan in Ann Arbor, um, and they are still on the road. They got two weeks off before they go to um, UAB. And then they're at Samford uh, on uh, February 24th. Both those games, both those matches, by the way, February 24th. Um, and then they don't come home to the USTA Tennis Complex until the 26th against Bethune-Cookman. So um, very difficult start for them. But, of course, they're playing some of the best teams in the country. So, uh, And then, of course, you got that USTA College Match Day on Sunday, March the 3rd. Women's tennis is 4-2, 1-0 in the American, 3-0 at home. Uh, they have the uh, they finished up the ITA national indoors and now they begin or, or they restart rather team play uh, the, uh, on uh, Friday 5 p.m. in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. Um, we want Bama. Oh, we got them uh, at Ole Miss on Sunday as well before they're back home for Georgia State on Thursday. So there's your update on tennis. So wow, we blasted through this thing <laughs> um don't forget this is our this is one of two episodes this week we have uh the hall of fame episode which you want to definitely want to check out two yeah, great Murph, interviews there him. i was in a tux we were all in a tux yeah we were all dressed tux. up you know tux, all dressed up and nowhere to go i don't wear i don't wear sport i don't wear suit jackets so i would have looked odd your hat game would have been would have been would have been primo though as usual it would have been amazing and yeah i know so, you're right you're right well you're right. um what are you guys working on uh, this week? Murph, we'll start with you. Uh, it's just, there's just everything. There's a lot, there's <laughs> a lot happening, Jeffrey. It's a really You're long all week. eaten up with baseball. Oh, uh, no, because it's, because, because, uh, yeah, like baseball's on Friday, uh, yeah. but you got basketball split in the middle of that. Uh, there's probably going to be basketball availability, but actually both men's and women's basketball availability tomorrow. Friday. Should I bring, should I bring an air mattress over to campus for you since you're going to be basically? Oh, I'd love I would love to like go back in the dorms for a weekend. Can I just like go back to like Nike for like a weekend? <laughs> Those freezing that, cold I mean, concrete door concrete block dorms. It's fine. It's fine. It's not like you're talking to a person who hasn't slept outside before. Come on, Jeffrey. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no, it's just it's fun. It's a fun time of year because there's there's so many things happening. There's a confluence of sports. So. That got deep in a hurry. Oh. <laughs> Important, yeah. Um, Lopez, what are you working on? Well, I will be. Uh, I might be following Murph into that uh, media availability. I feel like I'm the jinx. I've tried to go twice. Once there wasn't one, and then the second <laughs> one we had to go go do the love. Actually, that was the real reason why Murph was late in the love lady interview. That was during the men's basketball. Yeah. Uh, availability that we aired earlier but uh you know i'm gonna track this hall of fame situation with ucf i'm covering a magic game big game magic playoff chase baby going against the hornets what are they uh, 11 30. games under 500 but they're two games yeah, out of the eight spot be negativity here mr napalo's guy they're six under 500 they're playing very well oh, oh just uh, six under 500 ah, i got you okay. correct baby in the east that works um so yeah obviously what, it will wait, be a little bit of that when yeah. is that game when is that game Valentine's night, baby. Thursday night. Oh, that's so. Did, it, did the Magic play on Saturday? No, that's All Star Weekend. We have All Star right. break. I was, point. I was, I was, I was worried because if they did, there'd be no fans there because they're all <laughs> watching <laughs> the US UCF basketball game. I'm telling you, I'm go- I'm calling it. You're going to see some Penny Hardaway jerseys in the stands, and I'm talking Magic jerseys now, man. I'm telling. Oh you, boy, there'll be somebody. Someone's going to oh, someone's going to show up there with a Memphis State Penny Hardaway jersey. You guys Ooh, know that for sure. Be, I like that. So, um, 
I've got no, to... look, I mean, it's a busy, busy time. At, uh, real quick, too. Baseball season underway. Make sure you do follow Murph, the Ken Rosenthal of UCF baseball, inside <laughs> out information. We're going to have in depth coverage all year on UCF baseball. We're your home for UCF baseball coverage. So I, I uh, object. Also, uh, also where's Luke the bow tie? Luke Sarris as well. Yeah. Luke Sarris as we well. Cannot, Luke I, is kind of like, uh, we'll make Luke like the Jeff Passan, maybe, I guess. Is he Jeff Passan? Or, or like uh, Joel Sherman. I mean, I don't know which route you want to go with, Murph. Uh, is your yeah, Very good. but you got, but Luke has been amazing uh, helping us out with basketball and baseball coverage. Luke Saris, SBN on Twitter. Make sure you follow. Hashtag Savage Luke, by the way, because he is uh, he knows how to bring it. Um, I've got uh, he's been doing our recaps. Got a great recap of the USF game uh, up there as well, um, and a couple of other things he's been working on too. I've got a piece up right now. Actually, two pieces that I'm really excited about. We took a look at um, Bill Connolly's S and P Plus. And I calculated out some win projections for UCF football for 2019 based on the data that's out now. Obviously, that's subject to change. But how does a uh, how does a current win projection of 9.7 wins grab you guys? That's about right. I, Ten and I, two. I'd be pretty happy yeah, with that. Right. So I got I show you I show you all the math there. Uh, also, I'm working on a um, roster breakdown of UCF football as they head into spring practice of uh, some pressing needs that they're going to have in the upcoming recruiting session um because you know i mean you break it down by position and class uh so we'll be taking a look at that and uh i also have a recap of the uh orlando apollo's opening night uh which was uh, this past saturday at spectrum stadium 40 to 6 win for uh steve spurrier in his first uh in his first game back on the football field coaching a team since 2015 Garrett Gilbert played pretty well. Um, we had uh, and and the run game was working for Orlando, led by two former UCF offensive linemen, Aaron Evans and uh, and uh, Justin McRae. So um, didn't see much from Rennell Rennell Hall. He had one he had one carry. They threw to him, almost scored a touchdown in the first quarter, but um, a bit of a difficult throw. And then uh, uh, they who are they play next week? San Antonio. They're at San Antonio next, this coming week. So hopefully we'll hear from, some more from. Uh, the UCF guys uh, on the Apollos, and as they try to fight their way into uh, the NFL, and and it's kind of cool having some having some football, some more football in uh, Orlando. I was pleasantly, I was pleasantly, uh, uh, I don't want to say surprised, but I was I was encouraged by the uh, quality of play for the game. So uh, something worth uh, keeping an eye on. All right, fellas, thanks again. Enjoy the weekend. I know it's going to be crazy busy because here we are in the spring sports equinox with this the basketball crossing over with the start of the spring sports so uh uh if you need any supplies please just uh please just keep me uh keep me in the loop i'll be i'll, I'll be stocking up on canned goods thank you you can send <laughs> over like an iv drip uh that i'll hook up to myself while on the media table spare spare fedoras too brian uh yes you know so you could go down to a hat shop it's in lake buena vista very nice. I forgot the name of it, but uh, I'll give I'll give you the address. Yeah, and, about, yeah, yeah. and some and some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, we'll, yeah. Be wor- we'll be working on that. I'll be I'll be keeping Thanks. everybody afloat. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. By the way, a few thanks to pass out. Thanks to Greg Lovelady once again. Thanks to Ian McDougal uh, for helping us set everything up. Uh, Former Purdue cooking great. That's right. That's right. Uh, if you ever need a kickoff specialist, Ian McDougal is your guy. Never mind Brad Dalloway, so you need that guy on 
Um, thanks again also to uh, Luke Saris for all of his help uh, as well. And thanks to you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. <laughs>